Welcome to the Gavel and the Gavel. I'm Harry and I'm joined by... Simon, auctioneer extraordinaire from Devon, where we have an auction house and Harry is based in Windsor at our other auction house. And together we are hosting this podcast. It's all about auctions, antiques and the weird and wonderful stories that go with that. Simon, tell me, how's your week going, mate? Do you know what? I'm having a frantic busy week with the additional stress that I've got a whole bunch of lovely ladies who I need to do a presentation and a speech to, the Women's Institute in Colliford tomorrow at two o'clock. And currently it's six o'clock the evening before and I've done nothing, Harry. I've done nothing. I might just I might just play the podcast and go, just listen to that. I'll be back in a minute. I can't tell you how much trouble you're in. Got that covered. Fantastic. Who are we talking to today, Harry? We're talking to Michael Baggert. I am, as ever, but probably even more so this time, delighted to welcome a very special guest. Uh, He is TV star. Uh, He's worked at all the great auction houses. He's a member of the Spoon Club of Great Britain. He is a YouTuber. He has probably one of the best Twitter feeds in the business. It's Michael Baggett. Welcome to you, Michael. How are you, mate? Welcome, Harry. Welcome, son. It's it's lovely to be asked after, you know, although there's a lot of pressure because I always listen to the podcast and, you know, I'm following Laidlaw. I'm following, I mean, the last one was Angus. Military service, mayoral duty, the bomb squad. I was listening to that and I thought, you know, this is going to be like, a, this is after an adventure, this is like a quiet rest on a park bench where somebody gives you a drink. You know, this is, you've had the exciting ones, now get the pensioner in. But we'll give it a bash. But, you know, I, I've never served and I've never blown anything up. Well, not intentionally. <laughs> Yes, but Michael, look at it from our perspective. When Ang- when we were doing the re- um, research on Angus, we started reading it and we went, why have we asked him on here? We're going to look like an absolute couple of <laughs> underachievers. Why are we doing this? I know. It's just, you know, thing after thing after thing. Oh, and by the way, I was in the King's speech. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> now, Michael, I'm going to say one thing to you, uh, which will get you back on track and boost your ego. Recently, Antiques Road Trip, and I'm not trying to um, get you going on your Twitter feed here. They did a poll as to the people and the pairings they would most like to see back on a new series of Antiques and Road Trip. And it's you and Laidlaw they want back. Oh, Now, look, if I was ever tempted to do it, I would do it with Paul. But there's more chance of getting me on that <laughs> than there is... Of having a nice cool glass of Coca Cola in hell. Um, I mean, years ago, when it all started, years ago, um, a couple of people asked to do it with me, and I said, "Oh yeah, yeah." I said, "I've got no no objections whatsoever," because I was I was younger and fitter then, and the idea of traipsing around antique centres didn't appall me. Um, but I think for some some peculiar reason, they decided against. And I did ask them once, I said, you know, have I I upset, have I upset anybody in Scotland? Have I been unkind about tartan at any point? But no, (laughs) um, there's a, there's a great, sadly, there is a great schism. It's like the Reformation. There is a great schism between myself and some grandees at the BBC. So um, it's unlikely. It's very kind that people have thought of me, but very unlikely. I was aware of the schism that you've referred to, as in you talk about it occasionally. Or it I, comes I, I up. do. I, only when I've been drinking heavily and it's late <laughs> at night. And, and I'm exhausted from weeping. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, think, I don't think that's strictly true, Michael. I don't uh, think no, it, is, it isn't strictly true. <laughs> it isn't strictly true, Harry. For our listener out there, we all know you as uh, one of the greats of the, the auction industry. Your knowledge is unsurpassed in your field. But for some of our listeners who may not know quite as much about you, Michael, could you give us a little bit of a potted history as to the Michael Baggett story? How did you get started in this trade um how did it all kick off for you yeah i mean uh yeah look, keep it brief keep it brief um i went to stoke on trent garden festival when i was a child and uh obviously that didn't enthrall me too much and i wandered about and i found a stand of i don't know why she was there 
to one dealer selling antique silver at the Stoke-on-Trent Garden Festival. She was out of her mind. And by the time I'd finished, I was out of mind because I'd, I'd been attracted to all this stuff. Um, there's no antiques in my family. My, my dad's a boxer, was a boxer. So at least no one's ever owed me money. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, and my mum used to be a hairdresser. So, I mean, that was it. So, um, but I, I, I got bitten by the bug. You all know this. Once you start with this business, there's no escape. So I, you know, so I messed about as a kid for years and years and years and went to old antique dealers and listened to their stories and I was fascinated by it. And then, you, you know, I was lucky enough to be leaving um, school at a time when the Southampton, people have mentioned this to you before, haven't you? The Southampton course yep. was still going. Yeah, so that, I mean, somebody told me about that when I did work experience at Phillips in the sixth form. They said, oh, there's this course in Southampton, you can go and do it, and it's all about valuations. And the most appealing thing, the thing that nobody will tell you that's ever been on this course, is you had had to, basically had to have no qualifications to do it. So, you know, <laughs> the, the large proportion of people that did that were getting U's and E's. And, you know, they were just, there's nowhere else they could go. So we all went and we did that for a couple of years. And that was very good. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, the, the Southampton Institute of Higher Education is is all about architecture and the built environment and to just encapsulate the whole place in one story the uh, i think it was the vice the vice chancellor who was head of architecture he designed a new library wing for you know this big expensive wing for it and when they came to fill it with books they found that if they actually filled the top floor with books as intended it would fall down <laughs> so that was the sort of standard we were working with. Um, but we did, you know, we did this course and we were told all sorts of, it, it opened your eyes. It didn't mean that anybody that left that course knew what the hell they were talking about because they obviously didn't because antiques is a vast field. But it just, it, you know, it gave you the pointers. This is what arts and crafts is, Art Nouveau, Art Deco. These are some of the names and it was just a general, and then, you know, you've, you've done this, clear off, go and work for an auction house, but you might have some idea what you're doing. And, and luckily back then, there were, there were established firms of regional auctioneers. There were Bonhams. There was um, Christie South Kensington, now much missed. There were Sotheby's regional offices. And they all had a quite a high turnover of staff. You know, you started there and then you went and you moved somewhere else and you moved somewhere else. So you could get a job. You could get a job as a junior cataloger, dog's body, porter, and you could you could start. So I started, I mean, I was I did the disgusting thing, which is I left and I then became head of silver at Sotheby's which um, was uh, only at the Billingshurst branch, not the, not the big proper one. Nobody ever let me near that place, <laughs> but the big, uh, you know, the small one. So I did that for a bit. And uh, then like every disenchanted um, person that's ever worked for an auction house, I'm not suggesting you have anybody in the staff, <laughs> um, uh, I, then, I, then just, I then just became a dealer. Or, or actually what I did was, I, I was working for a pittance and living in all sorts of, you know, living in, having to live in all sorts of odd places. I lived with my sister in London and drove down to Sussex each day, which was murder. True. Oh, I know. I was given special dispensation to get in at seven o'clock in the morning, so I dodged the traffic, and leave <laughs> at three o'clock in the afternoon, so I dodged the traffic on the way back. And I could do it in about an hour and three quarters door to door so I was doing that morning and night for you know a while six months and then I just lived in you know uh, someone had a I was Harry Potter I lived in the cupboard <laughs> under the stairs you know uh, it was that sort of existence so after four years and Sotheby's was changing and doing all sorts of odd things online and and, and uh, I thought no I'll go home I'll be happier at home and I was I was, but that also meant dealing. So I became I became one of those fil filthy, 
filthy dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and what is it specifically, um, Michael, about silver that captivates you so much? What was it that got you hooked and still has you hooked today? It, it was that first. It was that first stand being silver. And uh, I mean, I think the thing is, if you've not grown up around antiques. The idea that people will make something out of solid silver is quite remarkable. You know, we, did, we didn't have anything in solid silver in our house. So to have a knife, I think I saw a Georgian table knife and it was just extraordinary. And I've, you know, I've done that thing that everybody does, which I started with something I loved, but then I've gone off in different directions and I've thought, oh, I'll do furniture for a bit, or I'll do Chinese ceramics, or I'll, I'll do jewellery, I'll do this. But I've always come back to the silver. And one really old dealer that I knew as a kid for years and years and years, who'd done it all and seen it all, uh, the one piece of advice, well, he gave me lots of pieces of advice, I suppose, but he did say to me, I've seen cleverer people than you. See, he was a kindly old man, wasn't he? I've seen cleverer <laughs> people than you go bad ways trying to do everything. And that's quite true. And, yeah. you know, I just I decided very early on I would have nothing to do with pictures. As, a, as an early appearance on Going for a Song proved when I valued a painting um, that was uh, early 18th century interior of seated gentlemen and, you know, game show thing. And uh, I said, oh, that's about 15 grand. And it turned out to be the most expensive thing ever featured on the programme and worth three quarters of a million pounds. <laughs> So, but I did say, I did say to, you know, whichever celebrity I was on with, I said, well, I don't do paintings, you know, so you really, you should, you know, really, you should have said something at that point, because I really haven't got a clue. But it's too big. It's too big. If you try and do everything, it is spreading a little bit of butter over 15 pieces of toast and you achieve nothing. But your real buttered toast is silver, isn't it? That is where that is where you absolutely excel. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a lot of silver dealers watching this. Well, two of them. And they'll be going, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. We hate him. He doesn't know nothing. No, I mean, that. that's the thing that I've concentrated on. And I was very, I was very fortunate to be scared into writing a book 13 years ago because I went and I've got an interest in provincial assay offices you all always have to have your little your little niche and I got interested with York because it was the one thing that people didn't seem to bother with and I went and I um, copied the assay office ledger which is the only existing record for that assay office and I'm, I, the trouble is, and I'll be honest with you too, I'm a bit of a lazy bugger. And I'd, 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 I'd gone up and I'd taken all the photos of it and I loaded them onto the computer. And I wasn't doing very much with them for a couple of months. And then the librarian said, oh, we've had an inquiry from someone who'd like to come up and copy the ledger and just wondered how you were getting on. And I thought, oh, my God, there's competition. <laughs> so I steamed ahead. It took me six months, but I steamed ahead and I published this book and I'm a bit amazed I did it now. I mean, it's not perfect. There are, there's the odd spelling mistake and the odd, um, the odd typographical error, but uh, all corrected in the correction and uh, erratum that comes with it. Um, but that was worthwhile doing. And, you know, you do something like that and you feel, well, I have achieved something. Um, so that's, but, but Michael, you, 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 you talk like you've, you put yourself down a little bit there. He does. Your, <laughs> your, I don't think you should, your YouTube videos are outstanding. I know it's a new thing to you, but if you're in the industry, we were chatting on the rostrum. We did a sale in Devon. What last week was it, Simon? Yeah. And we were talking about you to the room. Uh, in our silver section that cleared and it. we were saying <laughs> and we were saying you've got no 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 trust me we do that on our own uh, after after 200 lots they've all gone haven't they something and we were talking about your youtube videos and there were people in the front row who were watching them oh wow who had watched them and were going because because people had said michael started doing this you want and they were going it's 15 minutes of education because you speak with real passion about it well the the, the thing the thing i've always um, I've always said this to television producers who have never listened to me. Uh, and, you know, they produce successful programs that millions of people watch, so why should they? But I've always said to them, it's never about us. It's never about us. It's, it's always about the object. And they like a story and, you know, they like the repair shop thing where it isn't so much about what the object is. Um, it's more about 
someone sobbing uncontrollably in the corner, even if, you know, the director's got a pin on a stick that you can't see out of the camera, <laughs> just jabbing them, jabbing them till they start crying. Cry, you miserable wretch, cry! <laughs> um, but I think it's all object-based. And even when we started Flog It early on, I said, it's not about us. And, you know, I never liked the question, what are you going to do with the money? You know, I wish somebody, no one ever said it. I wish someone had said on camera, it's none of your bloody business, is it? <laughs> that would have been fabulous. Um, uh, but it's all about the history. And actually, the viewing public that watch these programs avidly and consume them, they are learning all the time. So what yeah. you could get away with yeah. in 2002 by saying, this is by William Moorcroft and it's tube blind and it was made in 1905. You can't do that anymore because the people watching it, you know, they're doing the ironing. You go, that's William Moorcroft. That's tube blind. That is what pattern is it? Is it moonlight blue or Claremont? Oh, I think it's moonlight blue. And of course, if the person doing it doesn't get it, then I think the public start to feel, well, they don't know much, do they? So, yeah. um, I mean, the the landmark, I mean, if you're going to watch anything on tu YouTube, watch Arthur Negus's History of English Furniture, which a friend of mine uploaded. I mean, I don't know whether he's supposed to upload it or not, but he's done it. <laughs> and it's there. And it was filmed in 1981 or 82. And it is still the landmark programme, in my opinion, probably nobody else's, but it is the landmark programme on antiques. doesn't matter whether you're interested in furniture or not, but the way he speaks about furniture is what I'm trying. I'm not achieving it completely, but I'm trying to do that with the things I talk about, which is it, the, the, the reason Arthur Negus was such a great expert wasn't because he was a great expert. He was a working auctioneer and he had a very good knowledge of furniture, but he loved the stuff. Mm, he yeah. absolutely loved it. In fact, I, I didn't realise this because I didn't. I've not seen the very earliest antiques roadshows because I was I was far too young, gentlemen. I was far too young. <laughs> of course. Um, yes. But apparently, it was quite difficult to get a value out of Arthur when he filmed something because he just wanted to talk about the thing. And he didn't want to right. get bogged down in the, the money side of it, really. And he would often say to the person, you don't, you don't care what that's worth, do you? That's a lovely bit of wood. <laughs> and then the director must have gone, oh, Arthur, just give him a figure. But he never did um, for a lot of it. And I just, there's room, there's still room. I mean, it won't be me, but there's still room for a proper program like that that features and concentrates on the antiques themselves, how they were made, why they were made, and also, and I'm, I'm really surprised this has never happened, the people who collect them. Because without the people who collect these things, we're all out of a job. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. We're we're big fans of collectors, obviously, as an auction, as owners of auction houses. You want two rival ones, don't you? Well, we just need two or three of them who all want the same thing. Um, now, I, I am going to tease you slightly, oh, uh, Michael, because in it. your because it's not about the money. I know it's not about the money, but in your latest YouTube video, um, and I know that's not the only thing you do, but it is. They are they are captivating me at the moment, and I know it's not about the money. But apparently, if somebody does have a king's ransom, oh yes, and there may be somebody out there, they can have your fantastic snuffer trays. It did make me giggle. I was going. Well, you can't have these because, you know, they. I would only part with the King's Ransom. And then it crossed your mind that there'll be somebody watching it going, I'm loaded. I'm loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when, when eventually the Arab prince watches my YouTube feed and sends his emissary to me with a wheelbarrow <laughs> full of money, he can, he can take the bloody locks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm off. I'm off to Rio. That'll be the last YouTube video. I'm, I, and I'll be saying, I've never really liked antiques. I'm loaded now. I'm here with these two beauties. This is the last film you'll ever see of me. Pina Colada, and that's it. It's all over. No, I mean the the problem is, you know, and this. This sort of sums my um, terrible failure as a dealer up. I remember doing a fair, when I just left Sotheby's a year after, 
and I'd been poking around various auctions and I'd found a very nice York goblet. You know, just, you know, before the internet, before catalogues were online, I found a very nice York goblet and I thought, this is nice. It cost a lot of money, cost over a thousand pounds, but I thought, I'll take this to the fair and I loved it. And just before the fair started, because it's vetting, which I don't agree with, we won't go into that, but vetting, which is just an opportunity for people to buy things before the fair starts. And a big dealer came along and he said, because he spoke like this, you see. Um, And he said, oh, can I have a look at your goblet, please? In a very pained way, as if, you know, having to speak to me and talk to me about my goblet was in somehow an insult to him. And I said, yes, of course you can, because I was uh, was much more cheerful back then. Of course you can. So I gave it to him and he said, oh, it's a very nice goblet, isn't it? Very nice. How much is it? And I said, well, it's £2,000. And he sighed and he mumbled a bit and he said, well, it's very, it's very rare. I said, is it very rare? He said, oh, it's got a very unusual, look, look, as if to make a point. It's a very unusual maker's mark at the bottom there with two indentations, which I, I now know is uncommon. It's not rare. It was at the time. And I took it off him. I said, can I have a look? I said, oh, well, if that's the case, I better, well, keep it, hadn't I? And I stuck it under the counter. <laughs> I said, thanks very much. And he was like, <laughs> he was open-mouthed in... You know, £2,000, but no, that's how I've always been, I'm afraid. Um, I do like the stuff too much, and um, but if I didn't, what would be the point of doing it, you know? There are, there are some dealers you see that just turn the stuff over. Don't blame them for that. If they're living, that's fine, but they don't love the stuff. You know, it wouldn't matter if it was chopped up in pieces, to be honest, if it was worth more that way. But I do I do like it, and I'm a bit soft and sentimental about it. You like owning it, right? I lo- these days, um, because, you know, l- life changes in different ways, I like finding it now. I-, I haven't got such a problem with moving it on as I used to, uh, but I like the hunt. I like finding the I, I like looking through catalogues and finding something interesting and maybe, you know, landing a white whale. I was just about to ask you, Michael, what's the Holy Grail? Because you have such a wide range of knowledge and you're obviously very passionate about silver and the story and all the rest of it. What's the sort of, you know, in the back of your mind, what's the Holy Grail for you? Or the dream thing. Well, there were were a set of three Rococo Turines made by a silversmith called Juste Aurel Massonnier in France. And I think they were... The Duke of Richmond had one. There's a big one, and then there are two smaller ones, and I think one of them's missing. And it's probably melted down. But, you know, the dream is that, you know, I'll go into an auction one day and there'll be a box of electro plates, and the, the lid will be there and the, the finial will be over there and the, the bottom will be turned up and they'll be filthy black. And I'll go, oh, my God. That, that could be either one of our auction houses, Michael. <laughs> You're making me sweat now. <laughs> I look through the catalogues avidly. Don't you worry. <laughs> if you've got it, if you've got it, I'm going to be bidding on it. I probably won't buy it. I mean, the, the only thing is these days that it's, it's so competitive now, much more. I mean, when I was... When I started off, if you picked an auction to go to, so, you know, Wednesday, I'm going to drive to Lempster. You would drive there and you would get there and you would see you would see the local dealers and they would pay a certain price for certain things. You might see a London dealer. You might not. You might see the local representative of London dealers who may have had a phone call in the morning, go up to that on that, go up to that on that, go up to that on that. But the the thing was, you were going to go to the auction, you were going to buy something. You were absolutely going to buy something. There was no question of that. I mean, I looked through all the sale room catalogues and I leave, I do do leave fewer bids these days. Um, If I buy something once a week, I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky. It's, it's, it's very difficult now because and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but auction is turning into a form of retail as well. But you know that, you know, you, you've got the bidders um, that uh, are wanting to find something and they've, and this is the, this is actually because of the, the antiques TV, you know, it's opened it all up. Lots of people, myself included, have said terrible things about daytime television. In fact, I went, if, if you've got the time, don't, don't let me ramble on, but if you've got the time, 
there was a round table held by the Antiques Trade Gazette. And they'd just done one on ivory. I won't touch on ivory because that's just a, you know, this too big a subject, which they didn't ask me to. And they felt it was a really heavy session. And they were going to do these round table interviews every month. And they said, right, for the next one, we're going to keep it light. We're going to do Antiques TV. Antiques TV, that's a nice, uplifting, bright subject. So there was a Barda council member. There was a fair organiser. There was someone off the Antiques Roadshow. There was an auctioneer that did two auctioneers that filmed with the programmes. And they asked me, they said, would you like to come along? I said, is lunch provided? And they said, yes. And I said, I'd love to come along. (laughs) So we all went along. And it's true to say, because I have my biases, I I, I went went to Berry Season, not to praise him, uh, in the terms of Bargain Hunt and the rest, I thought I'm going to have I'm going to have a good old I'm going to have a good old say about these. I'm going to get this all off my chest. And I sat there, and I was uh, funnily enough, I was um, eating for the first ten or fifteen minutes, so my mouth was full, and I, I just let the others talk. And they were so horrible about most of the programs. Oh, it's terrible, terrible program, terrible program. And one of the auctioneers that was saying it was actually, he featured his cell room frequently on a lot of the programmes with his big, you know, his big cell room thing there. He was going, terrible programmes, terrible programmes. And by the time it got to me, I was so utterly offended by this. I said, hang on a minute. And my view had changed completely. And it was only me and actually Richard Winterton was there. It was only me and Richard that were speaking up for these things. I mean, I never liked the bloody things. But I thought, I thought, I'm not having this. Because the thing they've done is they have demystified the world of auctions. Now, before Bargain Hunt came along, lots of people were genuinely, genuinely very scared of going to an auction. They didn't know what to expect. They thought they scratched their nose or broke wind loudly. Well, you know, you're always scared of breaking wind loudly, aren't you? But you break wind loudly, you've bought something. They don't know how to pay. They don't know what's going on. And now you've got all these programs, which for good or bad, have shown the process. Um, that, in tandem with the internet, has just opened it all up. And and surely that's better. Surely that's better for for everybody. I think it, I think it is better, Michael. But I think it is it's tricky if you are somebody like yourself who straddles the two stages of it. So you started your career when it wasn't available and wasn't influencing it. And now you've had to adapt to it. And you're having to now compete with, and I mean this with respect, people who are going to throw quite a lot of money at it and aren't earning a living out of it. Do you see what I mean? Oh, don't worry about the respect part. Everyone's got more money than I have. I'm the poorest antiques dealer in the world and nobody believes me. (laughs) But no, I've never, I've had the opportunity now to bid at auctions in America, Australia, in France. Uh, I mean, I had a, not these days, but I had a hell of a time on eBay. I mean, when eBay started, because it started just about the time I was working at Sotheby's. And I'm not saying we had lots of free time with the computer, but we had lots of free time <laughs> with the computer. We'd go on eBay. And we never bought anything. But then when I when I basically left, and I only left with a, um, a month's salary, a month's pay packet, um, and everything was, uh, how shall we say this, everything around the country was sewn up by some London dealers. So I thought, I'm going to, and my sister brought, gave me a computer from her office, huge thing. And I said, what do I want that for? And she said, just move with the times, move with the times, you idiot. So I did. And I started buying on eBay. And I can tell you, it was like stumbling into a cave with golden treasure all around. And all you had to do was bend down and pick it up. <laughs> it was fantastic. I mean, only for a few years. But it was like that. I couldn't not buy something very, very cheaply two or three times a day. Wow. I just, I, you just, you know, I mean, I looked at everything, but, you know, I, you know, you buy a Vesta case for 26 quid and I'd go and I'd sell it for 1,400 pounds. You'd go and buy a spoon for 100 quid from America. Nobody would charge you any duty. The postman would knock on the door at seven o'clock and just hand it to you. These were, that's how long ago it was. 
And, you know, and you'd sell it the next day and it'd be a few hundred pounds. I mean, unfortunately, the money goes, but it, it was wonderful. And I remember all the silver dealers saying to me when I went to a Sunday fair, where, where are you finding this stuff? And I was not coy about it at all. I said, oh, I, I buy it online. And every one of them, they, they will swear blind they never said it. And I mean, every silver dealer in the country said, I will never. I will never buy anything online without seeing it. <laughs> never. And now, unfortunately, they do. I mean, I, I've sat next to somebody in an auction, big, big, successful silver dealer. He's got his laptop on his lap, and he's you know he's there in the auction bidding, and he's on three other sales at the same time. Boom, 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 boom. So I mean, it, it's 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 changed completely, but I don't begrudge it at all. I you know it's. It's just it's just the way the business changes. It has it evolves, doesn't it? And without giving away any of your trademark secrets, uh, Michael, what's what's the uh, market like for you now? Where are you buying and selling today? Are you utilising the internet to sell or to buy or both? Or well, I was until my website exploded. <laughs> <and> then, uh... <laughs> no, I don't know what happened with that, and I thought oh, I'm not having another one. Um, I mean, I hope one day to do a proper fair again. I'd love to do a proper fair. But as you both know, reading the Gazette, proper fairs are falling faster yeah. than, you know, trees trees in a forest. They're, they're just boom, 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 boom. And it's finding the right one to do. Um, I'm really pleased that um, Lapada have sort of saved the NEC, but that won't be until next year because that was a – it was a good fair. I mean, I, I went to that fair as a kid. And I remember going half an hour before it opened, having to walk for 10 minutes to get to the end of the queue. And then when it opened, it would take you 10 to 15 minutes for that queue to clear just to get your foot through the front of the fair. Um, but of course, everything is changing. And, um, you know, I, I occasionally... I occasionally put things into auction, lads. I, you know, there's nothing wrong with putting things in an auction. We haven't um, paid him, dear listener. Right we haven't yeah, paid him dear, a penny. Yeah, dear just, listener, it's not, it's so not an you know. advertising revenue for us. <laughs> that will come later. You are selling on... Uh, uh, am I right in saying this, that you're now putting a few things on Instagram? Yeah, I mean, that that was the point of the videos. I mean, I, utterly commercial. You know, yeah, let's yeah, not... Yeah. Let's not say I'm doing it for altruistic uh, ends, but I've seen all these young kids do it on Instagram. I mean, a lot of them, they don't do it anywhere else. They don't have a website. They just go, they go and buy the thing. And by the time they've got back to the car, they filmed it on Instagram and they've sold it. I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? It's is, amazing. Isn't that the dream? Yeah. It is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say if I film something and it's not for sale, but everything is there. And actually, the first thing I put on, um, you know, sold in 12 hours or something. You know, somebody just said, you know, are those, are those spoons available? I said, yeah, of course they are. And, and it's a nice way to do it. I mean, I may have a website again at some point. I mean, I've got to go into it all. And it was a bit of a, it was a, bit of a pain. But, um, and of course, I always, I've always historically thrown bits and bobs that come with when you buy a job lot on eBay. But um, that has just become more and more and more difficult. You know, it's almost as if they don't want the business. The glory days are over for that you were describing before. Yeah. It's turned on its head. I mean, I, I know I know really hardworking, greedy dealers that would do anything for a pound, and even they've had enough of it. I mean, people that have bought houses dealing on eBay. That's how well they've done on it. They work much harder than I do. Um, I'll give them their dues. And they're just fed up. They're fed up. Every Everything is made more difficult. So why should they bother? Give it to your local auctioneer, hey, Simon? Absolutely. Give it to your, <laughs> give it to your local auctioneer. It'll do a good job. <laughs> Michael, um, interesting to get your perspective. I mean, Harry and I have said for quite a number of years now, I mean, both our auction houses that we work hard to stock for every monthly auction, both our auction houses work on a similar pattern. And we try to get the first hundred lots to be silver, gold, jewellery, because that builds the backbone of our auctions. And we do feel that we've seen silver prices. Well, forget silver, the, the demand for silver, the desire for silver, the bidding for silver, um, 
going up and up and up and up and up over the last few years. Is is, is that your experience as well? Well, I mean, funnily, it's, it depends what it is. I mean, I remember if you had a pair of wine coasters, you couldn't buy them. If you went to an auction, they always went to the same two or three London dealers and they would pay thousands of pounds for them. I mean, you know, they bought a pair of wine coolers. They've dipped. Coffee pots have gone down. The collectibles, the postable stuff has gone up. You know, lots of, you know, caddy spoons took a nosedive years and years ago. They're now expensive again. Um, provincial silver, if people know what it is, is a lot of money. But unfortunately, there's no there's no real rhyme or reason to it. You know, I, I look at, I have people that um, ring me up and say, you know, should I buy this, should I buy that? And I say, well, you know, that's a load of old rubbish. That's quite nice, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I give them figures, and often they'll say, well, it made three times that. And I say, well, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know why. I don't know why it's done that. And you get a lot of that. But, of course, now anybody can bid at an auction from anywhere. Um, I, mean, I remember speaking to an auctioneer um, last year, and he was saying, you know, we're, we're selling, selling a lot of um, porcelain tea sets, English porcelain tea sets. I said, is it worth it? And he said, we're getting 700, 800 pounds for some of them. I said, well, who's paying that? And they said, they're all going to Korea. Oh, don't. Like, Michael, you're going to start a what? fight with me and Simon. We have a, we Why? have a, what? we have a career story. So I took, Go a, on. I took a consignment of Rule Dalton, uh, ladies, you know, the dolls, which yes. very out of fashion, can't sell them and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, we had about 20 lots, did we, Simon? I think at Windsor. And they started selling for six, seven hundred pounds per five, and they all went to Korea. The following week, we had an auction at our other auction in Devon, where Simon's based. Uh, similar selection, and obviously, Korean market was now full, and they didn't, <laughs> and they didn't sell within and a Simon month. Just within a month, sit, Michael. <laughs> within a month, and we sit next to each other on the rostrum. We auction simultaneously together, uh, which is a bit of a, uni- a unique. But it does involve me getting punched quite a lot <laughs> if it all goes horribly wrong like it did on that occasion as as they weren't selling you were, were you gently reminding simon were you going yeah you know, every lot oh we we did a lot better last month <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. and there Nudging. was there there was i sat there and, and the first lot came up and we go right here's our banker for a thousand pounds put that in the bank 40 quid i could have i literally nearly lost my mind on the rostrum literally nearly lost it completely michael you'd have loved it you'd have but loved you see it. this is but this is how fickle it is mm, you yeah. get the right you get the right buyer that seen the catalogue and it's fine you get uh, you know they can be away that weekend i mean if they're career uh, I do, goodness knows what they might be doing <laughs> or running away from and uh, you know that honestly it's that fickle so it, it just it just opens it up to all sorts of uncertainties that you never had before before you sort of you sort of knew who everyone was that would be bidding unless a very rare private client came into a cell room and you knew what everything would make. So um, it's just become freer and more open, unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> he says through gritted teeth. One of, one of the things that we are trying to do with the podcast is promote what we think is this magical industry that we call antiques and collectibles and auctions and trading and dealing and also letting people know that you can be an independent trader like your good self Michael and you can build a career in something you love rather than selling your soul to the corporate devil um so um what i was wondering is which which might be simon's background there michael <laughs> yes. you may have, you may have my you may have there's, noticed there's the voice of experience exactly the voice of- that soul was burnt out of me in my 20s and early 30s until i then decided we're actually going to build a business of our own now you've been very successful yourself and very knowledgeable so if you were to speak to people today who are maybe listening to this podcast um, and advise them, how do you get into this trade? Uh, what's the best advice you'd give to somebody looking to make a move into this wonderful career? I'd almost say just um, try and get a job at an auction house doing anything because you'll see more there. 
And if if you're coming at it absolutely cold, you won't know what you know what different areas might appeal to you. If you go and work for General Auction House for six months or a year, you'll see everything, and something will leap out at you. Um, but don't worry about the old porters. If <laughs> but but honestly, um, you know it has to be a passion. If it's not a passion, if you've seen if you've seen someone that looks like Porky Pig in a flat cap on the telly with glasses going uh, going around the country going, I've got a fabulous eye. Which one is it? Left or right? Left or right? That's what I want to know. Um, it doesn't work like that. It's hard. It's depressing. <laughs> you're going to lose. You're going to lose money. You're going to lose money. Absolutely. Anyone who says they've never lost money as a dealer. Is an out and out liar. I lose it all the time. I still lose it now. I mean, people don't. People go, "Oh, you can't lose money." Oh, I can. <laughs> I can and I do frequently. But if it's a passion, and you know, if it's a real passion, and you can't afford to, the, the situation I'm in, I can't really afford to collect this stuff. So I have to deal it. I can't own all of it at once because I haven't got the money. So I'll uh, I'll own one piece at a time. And use that to just pay my way. That's how I'll do it. And it, it's all about learning. And it, it's it's difficult because a lot of the most successful dealers I know are some of the most stupid dealers I know. The controversial thought, controversial thought. What they've concentrated on is finding fashionable, saleable things, and they're very good at selling them. And that's fine. That's fine. I've no problem with that. Furnishing dealers, I call them. And, you know, they'll buy a box load of old tap. They've got the right way to present it and dress it up, and they'll sell it. They don't really know what any of it is. The other side of it is I know very, very academic people. One of my old tutors at Southampton actually went in and became left, left the insanity of edu- higher education and became a dealer. I bumped into him and I said, you know, what are you doing now? He said, oh, I, he, he was extremely knowledgeable on 19th century design. And he says, I just look now and I buy two things a year, maybe three. And they're good things. And because I know what they are, I sell them and I make a living. And wow. I said, well, that's very good. I know one, one guy when I worked at Sotheby's who was a consultant, there's the job to have, be a consultant. I used to drive. I used to drive to work when I lived in Petworth, past this gorgeous seventeenth-century gabled house in Petworth. Anyone that drives past it will know. God knows how much it would cost to buy now, but he bought that with one deal. He found a suit of armour in a provincial sale for I don't know a few grand, three grand, four grand. When three or four grand was an awful lot of money, and now it's in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Wow. And it was a, I think it was a seven-figure price tag, nearly, that he sold it for. So you, you've, got, you've got two choices, really. You can either say, okay, I'm just going to turn the stuff over. I'm going to be very popular. I'm going to find out what sells. A lot of people do that. Absolutely fine. Um, that doesn't give you the opportunity to go into it too far. And, you know, that's because you're too busy. You're too busy sourcing the stuff, presenting it, getting round, and you're I sort of I don't I don't want to use the phrase wheeler dealer, but that sort of thing. Um, it takes a lot more time and expense, probably, these days to become a specialist in anything, and it's difficult. And I would also warn people if they want to become specialists, it, it, you know, unless you're prepared to live a humble lifestyle, and I do. I mean, I you know I do you know I'm, I I really do. Um, if you want to make lots of money, you have to have lots of money to start with or access to it because these things are now very expensive. A proper, a proper old school antique, a proper bit of furniture, a proper bit of silver, a proper bit of ceramic will be tens of thousands of pounds now if it turns up. You, you can't you can't go and, you know, when I was doing it and wheeling around the country and I've got like 150 quid in my pocket and I could manage to buy things, you can't do that anymore. You you really you really can't. So um, it's it's hard. I wish somebody had t- wish somebody had told me it was so hard when I started. <laughs> what's what's that corporate thing we could have done that would have made lots of money? Sold your soul, Michael. Are they still looking for souls? I look, I've still 
I've still got a bit of one left. They can have it. <laughs> now, Michael, what, what, does the, what does the near future look like for you? What's new and exciting and coming down the line next for you? Well, I've got a cup of tea and a biscuit downstairs waiting after this. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I just, um, I mean, I really know I just, I just look at stuff. I just look for stuff. And that's what keeps me going these days is the thought of the next There'll be some. There'll be something at auction to to go for, and um, I just keep toddling along. I mean, I get lots of phone calls from people asking, you know, asking for advice, which cheers me up sometimes. Of course, none of the uh, buggers ever pay for it, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> and I just, I just, you know, I, I'll just keep doing these little videos until somebody said, "Are you going to keep doing them forever?" And I said, "Well, as long as I've got something to say that's interesting, well, interesting to me anyway." It's interesting to me. It might be interesting to somebody else. Oh, Michael, hang on. You've got to guarantee you're not going to stop the video. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, no. Only just start, you've, We've only just started. They're amazing. They're fantastic. I'll, I'll, they I'll, are I'll fantastic. keep trundling them out. Look, there's going to be insomniacs out there that need those videos, <laughs> that they're relying on them. No, hang on. Hang on, Michael. That's our claim to fame. We're the insomniacs um, podcast. No, you... We're, uh, an, an old school chum of mine rang us up on our second episode and said, do you know what? I've really struggled to sleep, but it's all over now. You two droning on in my head. <laughs> did you see? Did you see, Michael? Just to put it in perspective, our first review was surprisingly listenable. <laughs> That's our first ever review. It's 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 a kind comment that hurts, isn't it? <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Perfectly, perfectly put. Perfectly put. Michael, I hate to say this, and this is the mark of a of a of, of a great podcast, uh, a fantastic chat. Because I can't believe that we are virtually out of time. Don't worry, you can edit it down to fifteen minutes. Not a no, chance. No, 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 no. No bomb disposal stories. Nothing about finding <laughs> something that makes thirty thousand pounds on antique road trip. It's bloody boring, isn't it? We won't have him back. A bloody boring swine. <laughs> Michael, Michael, that is not true. We will definitely, 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 definitely be having you back. Um, you'll be interviewing us on the largest antiques YouTube channel uh, on the internet, which is what's going to oh, happen. God forbid. <laughs> Late Law said, stop watching Antiques Roadshow and watch these YouTube videos instead. Do, do you know, of, for the whole... That's what he that's said. that's all I have out of it, if that's all I ever get... That is enough. That is praise <laughs> indeed. I, I'm just. He was. I mean, we 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 like the fella. He's he's been very generous to us when we started out, and we did meet him. Our very first time we met him was on uh, an antiques road trip when they were filming at our at our at our at our place, and he was very nice to us. He was really he was really we. It was uh, down in Devon. We hadn't bought that business long before. It was all a bit new to us and all the rest of it. And he was so generous spirited. He subsequently filmed, uh, been and seen us at our uh, Windsor and all the rest of it. And he was so nice. But when I read that tweet, I could, I, it, it, it was such a nice thing to say about anybody. He, he's, he's, there are, I don't have huge amounts of um, respect for a lot of people on, a few people on television. I have all the time in the world for Mr. Laidlaw. He's top of the, not just because he said something nice about me. If he'd have said, this is the worst YouTube channel I've ever seen in my life, I would still be saying this. Um, he knows it back and front as well, uh, as you know. You, you, you both know. He knows it back and front. And actually, I haven't got time to tell you, but uh, honestly, if you, get, if you get him back, ask him about this, the time. I did spot one thing in his auction once. And when I rang up to pay, I got him. And we had a laugh for 20 minutes and he had me in stitches, actually. The tears were running down my face. I couldn't really, I couldn't really give him the card number, but it was so funny. But he's, he's, a, he's a lovely person. He's a lovely person. Well, Michael, Michael, we're going to end now, but uh, can I tell you one thing? Um, you very sweetly bought a silver spoon from us um, a couple of months ago in auction and you posted about how good the team that I work with were in getting it shipped to you quickly. And I I have to tell you, and um, we don't normally do interact about what we do for our day jobs and on the podcast, but I just want you to know that five people who were involved in that chain were so chuffed that somebody took the time to say thank you for the hard work 
They did ask me to mention it today, and I said something I would. They were genuinely chuffed because, you know, we, we have a lovely job. What we do for a living, like, it's, it's great fun. We all have a laugh. There are highs and lows, but it's generally speaking, it's great. But very few people say thank you. And it was so, so sweet of you. We are, they are, they're genuinely touched. That That's, a, it's a great shame more people don't say thank you. Um, I mean, it's, it, it, I, I moan about auction. I know Paul does as well. I moan about auctioneers that won't post and won't send you a picture and won't do this. But actually, I, I much prefer celebrating the good ones. And I've actually bought off both of you. I've, I've bought spoons off both of you. You're both marked for life. And how how was our how was our packing service down in line before this gets really it was, gnarly? It was <laughs> here we go here we go Michael about it. It was equally speedy and equally beautifully oh, done. I've always loved you, Michael. You've always been my favourite. But, but honestly, but honestly, it, do, it doesn't take a lot. I mean, I would if I was ringing up and asking you to post a sideboard, I would expect you to tell me to sod off. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not insane. But I've had, I've had lots of, lots of very nice auctioneers. I much prefer to celebrate the good ones. The moan about the bad ones, to be to be brutally honest, and the the bad ones, I must say, for every everybody listening, they are in a minority, and honestly, they go out of business. There was one horrible auctioneer up in Scotland, and I won't name them, and they actually put a black mark against me on the sale room that I didn't know anything about for three months, and uh, a month after finding out, they went out of business after ninety years or whatever. Couldn't have been happier. Couldn't have been happier. <laughs> Serves the the power of the power of dissing oh, Michael. Don't do it. Let that be a Let warning. That be to a us warning, all. Michael. You're a legend. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and sharing some of your wisdom and your stories with us. Uh, what what more can we say? You're an absolute legend. Thank you. I think you're both the legends, and it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, fella. How, mate, how good was that? (laughs) Michael, what a start. Do you know what? As he just got a lovely sense of humour as well. I mean, not only is he hugely knowledgeable, um, an icon in the trade, but just wonderful to talk to. I thoroughly enjoyed that. That's made my day. Thank you, Michael. What a star. Nice thing about it. We didn't get to say very much because he is hugely knowledgeable and he's got an anecdote for absolutely everything. We could have sat sat chatting to him for hours. Which has surprised me insofar as um, we we don't get to talk much. We talk a lot over people. Both of us were very quiet, so that worked out well. And secondly, I imagine that you have now finished your presentation uh, for your WI thing tomorrow. No, Harry, I haven't finished or even started my presentation. Um, I'm hoping the WI don't get to hear this because they'll think I've not put any effort in. It's not true. Um, I've just been busy. Right, mate. Well, I'll see you in a week. Look forward to it. Take care, buddy. Cheers, pal. And to all the people that have liked and subscribed and all the rest of it, trust me, we really, really genuinely do appreciate it. So thank you so much. 